Church, help me preach the last message of this series. Turn to your neighbor and say bold prayers. Just say bold prayers. Now turn to the other neighbor, the one you ignored the first time, and say big dreams, big dream, bold prayer, and big dreams. This series, you thought it was done last week. I thought it might have been two. God said no. We got to go one more. This might be the most pivotal week of them all. And here's why I tell you that. Let me, let me, especially if you're new and you don't understand the series, we've been praying bold prayer and big dreams, or bold prayers for big dreams throughout the last five weeks. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means that, like, we're praying big. Like, God, we need, I need a miracle in my life in this area. God, I'm praying that you move that mountain from there to there. Now, those are exciting prayers and big prayers. But this week, it's going to be a little different. It's going to be a lot different. I'm just going to be up front with you. This week, we're not praying that type of prayer. We're praying a different type. The the prayer that we're praying today, it's not a common prayer. It's not a safe prayer. It it, it is not, um, how could I say it, a comfortable prayer. In, In fact, it's a prayer that most people won't pray. Thank God you're not most people. But the prayer that we're praying today, what we're asking God to do today is this. God, will you break us? God, will you break my heart? Sounds weird, doesn't it? God, will you give me a burden? Like, I know it, I know it. You guys are kind of looking at me like, what? Break my heart? That don't sound fun, Pastor. I know. We, what I like to praise, what we kind of, like, God bless me. God provide for me. Lord, Lord, shower me, right? Shower me with your love. Shower me with your grace. Shower me with your mercy. And Lord, if you want to drop a little cash in on the side, daddy's got some bills to pay. Praise the Lord, right? Those are the praise. Prayers that I like to pray. I got a little carried away. Anyway, that happens. So I'm telling you, this is different. This isn't comfortable. In fact, what, what I'm asking you to do today is pray the opposite of comfort. I'm asking you to pray to get uncomfortable. That, that's what I'm asking. I'm doing the same. I'm with you. And don't, don't hear me like I don't like comfort. I like to be comfortable. I like comfort. But here's what I know. Comfort has never motivated anybody to action. I've never heard anybody say, oh, I'm so comfortable. Let's go change the world, right? I've, ne- I've never heard it. But I have, I, had for, I have heard people say it when they're uncomfortable, right? Pain will, pain will get you to move. Right? Pain will move you to move. Ask anybody who's in the ER bleeding, right? Why they're there, right? They didn't show up to the doctor's office because they wanted to know how much they weigh, did they? No. They, by the way, they don't, they don't weigh people at the ER, do they? That'd be horrible. I mean, you, you, sli- you slice your arm open or, or chop it off. They're like, sir, can you get on the scale? I mean, just, just one second. We just need to get your weight. They'd be like, with or without the arm? I mean, I, you know, that's weird. So I bet they're not doing that. I hope not. So what is the prayer? God, break me. God, burden me. God, do something in me. Ask yourself this question, and I think we can put it up on the screen. What if God's greatest blessings come from our greatest burdens? What if God's greatest blessings, think about that for a second. You want to get blessed, and so do I. Don't apologize for that. God wants to bless you. What if it comes from your greatest burdens? Some of you, you're already thinking of a a burden that you've had where you've seen God bless you. Others, you're like, I don't really understand, Pastor. It's okay. What if your greatest blessings come from your greatest burdens? I'm gonna preach to you out of an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. Nehemiah 
Um, let me set the stage so you understand. And by the way, if you've got a Bible or a mobile app, go there. Old Testament, I think, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and then Nehemiah. So, uh, Nehemiah was um, a Jew, though he really never lived there. He, the Jews were taken into, into captivity. Um, they were conquered. This is the southern uh, Jewish Israel called Judah. They were conquered by the Babylonians, and they were, they were taken into captivity. And, and then the Babylonians started to release them or let them go back into Judah, or where Jerusalem is. They let them start going back. So they went, there was a um, Zerubbabel, that's, that's, that baby name is still available. That guy brought back a group. And then Ezra brought back a group. And now Nehemiah, there's another group going back. And it's been happening over like 90-some years. So over 90 years, the Jews have been going back into their homeland. But their homeland's been trashed. Like the Babylonians, they, they, just, they just wiped it out. So, so Nehemiah, well, uh, the, the, I'm not going to say much more. The, the scripture will tell you the rest, and then we'll break it down. Nehemiah, I'm starting right in the first chapter. Verse 1, chapter 1. It was late autumn, the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, right, the king of Babylon. I, Nehemiah, I was in a fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, he came to visit me with some other men. Who, who, who had just arrived from Judah. So they were there, now they came back, kind of to give a report, what's going down there. I asked him, I asked about the Jews who had returned there from captivity. You know, they'd been going back for 90-some years. I asked, how are things going there? And the guy said to me, not good. Things are not going well at all for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are, listen to this, they are in great trouble and disgrace. Why? What's going down? The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So, so that is trouble and disgrace. Trouble because in a city, especially back then, if you're not, if you're not protected by a, a wall, uh, you're in trouble. You're vulnerable. Disgrace because of what that means. It's not just a physical like vulnerability to an enemy. It is like a... It's a status thing, like, like you, you, your enemies know you're weak because you have nothing guarding you. So they would feel bad. They would feel bad in every level of what's going on in their city. The walls are gone. They said to me they've been destroyed. When I heard this, verse 4, I sat down. Listen to what he does. His heart breaks. He has a burden. He weeps. And then what does he do? It's like, it's like Nehemiah was with us for this series. Bold prayers and big dreams. Nehemiah says, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God in heaven. And then he's going to break down a prayer of what he said to God. You guys, do you remember two weeks ago, if you were here, two or three, we broke down the um, kind of an acronym for prayer, ACTS. Remember that? How we pray to God? We adore him. God, you're so good. Uh, C, confess. I'm so bad. T, we thank him for all he's done. And then S, supplication, which just means ask. God, would you help him? God, would you help me? So that's a, a formula that we can use. That's on our website that you can, so you know how to pray. I don't want to assume that you, you understand, and, and I need help too. So think of that acronym, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Think about that as I, tell you, as I show you how he prayed to God. This is what he prayed, Nehemiah praying to God. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. You, you see the adoration? The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love to those who love him and obey his commands. And then he's, then he's very specific. Listen to my prayer. 
Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. In other words, Nehemiah's, notice he's not praying one and done. I prayed, nothing happened. I guess I'll move on to the next prayer. He prayed night and day. The word says he mourned for what? Days. Don't give up on those prayers. Don't give up on those dreams. I told you before, just because you don't see God moving doesn't mean he's not moving. So he, he literally says, I've been praying night and day. And here comes the seat. I confess we have sinned against you. And then he gets more personal. This is leadership right here because he owns it. Yes, even my own family and I, God, I've sinned. I've done it. We've sinned terribly by not obeying you, your decrees and your regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. God, please remember what you told your servant Moses. You said, if you're unfaithful to me, I'm going to scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then what? Then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for, for my name to be honored. He continues, one more little section of the prayer. The people you rescued, God, by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Lord, again, he's saying, he's pleading, with, he's pleading with God. God, have you ever been so burdened? You are like begging and pleading and crying out to God. That's Nehemiah. He's like, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to my prayers. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And then he gets really specific about what's going to happen next. Listen to how he closes. Remember a supplication asking, please grant me success today. Okay, get more specific, Nehemiah. Okay. By making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind today. For in these days, I was the king's cupbearer. So what is Nehemiah asking God at the end there? He's saying, God, I'm going to the king and I'm going to ask him something. I need him to respond nicely. I need him to respond kindly. Because understand something, being the king's cupbearer, it was a good gig. Well, there was pluses and minuses, okay? The pluses, you're hanging out with the king. You're eating the king's food. You're drinking the king's wine. In fact, that's what the cupbearer does. They literally, if he wants to drink wine, the cupbearer drinks it first. The, the, the minus of the job is, if, if, the, if the wine's poison, you die. Okay, it's, it's one and done. There's not a second chance. And that's why the king would have him do it. King said, you know what? You take a drink first. <laughs> if you don't flop over with, convulsing with your tongue hanging out, then I'll take a drink. So that was his job. But it was a pretty good gig unless you had, the, unless you had that one bad day. So he has to go to the king. And the king, he wants his cupbearer. His cupbearer is proven loyal. He's faithful. He can now trust him. That takes time because he's a Jew. And, and the king, you know, Artaxerxes, the king, he ain't no Jew. So, so for him to go and say, I want to leave, that's what he's going to ask him. I want, I, want to, I want you to release me my job for a while. I want to go to, to Jerusalem, and I want to help my people. That's what he's going to ask him. That could be a death sentence for, for Nehemiah because if, the king, if that ticks the king off, and it very likely would, he could have him killed on the spot. That's why he's praying to God, God, please let the king be favorable. Please let him be kind to me. So Nehemiah was so broken, though. So what does he do? Look at the formula. He prays, right? He, he fasts, and then he moves. And then he moves. See, he knew somebody has to do something. Like when he heard about his people, how, how, how they're in such disarray in Jerusalem, no walls, no gates, like they're screwed. And he's thinking, I got to do something. But Nehemiah, what can you do? You're one guy. It's, it's a wall around a huge city. And, you, and here's the thing. 
and he didn't say this, but this is what he very well could have been thinking. I need to do something. I can't do it all. I can't do everything, but I can do something. See, you can't do everything. I'll guarantee you, you can do something. What is your burden? What is your break? Nehemiah, it was the people. It was the people. Oh, I wrote this too. It's not what we believe that counts. He believed his people were in trouble. He, he believed his people needed help. It's what you believe enough to do that counts. There's a huge difference. We all believe in a lot of great things. What do you believe enough to do? See, here's what's cool. You, you believed enough to come to church today. You believed enough to log on, online today. See, you believed enough that you said, God, there's something for me there. Like, God wants to do something in me, through me, I don't know. But I believe it enough, not just to talk about it with a friend and, and just not go, but I believe it enough to do it. That's what changes the world. So, we continue the plight of Nehemiah. <laughs> Technology. I can't do everything, but I can do something. He was in pain. You, you could hear him mourning and hurting as he heard what was going on with his Jewish brothers and sisters. He is dying on the inside. But, but I've said this before, your greatest pain often leads to your greatest purpose, doesn't it? It does. Like, like why do I have a burden for people that struggle with addiction? I've struggled with addiction. That was my greatest pain. I've shared the story once before. Maybe you didn't hear it. When I went to rehab the second time, you want to know how much pain I was in? When I got to rehab, I literally, this, if you would see this picture, thank God they didn't record it or anything. You wouldn't come to this church. So well, I, don't, I don't even know why I tell you. I'm just not that smart. So anyway, I'm on the ground outside rolling around in the grass like a dog. Okay? Picture that. So I am in such anguish about coming down. And I mean, that's why an addict, they'll do anything not to come down because it's so horrendous. Um, but you got to experience it before you want the freedom, right? Before you experience the freedom. And I was literally ripping uh, chunks of sod and grass out of, <laughs> out of the lawn of the place. And I, I'm, I, it's just most, I, I, I can imagine the counselors like looking at me through the window. That boy ain't right. I'm like, no, I'm not right. That's why I'm in rehab. You know what I'm saying? I was wrong. And I, it was so miserable. I was in such pain. But, but, but sometimes, know this, sometimes the people that God wants to use the greatest, they have been burdened the most. Okay? God wants to use you in a great way. Make no mistake. And that's why when you've been burdened in such a deep way, he, he can truly use you in a mighty way. This is why we would pray for God to break us. This is why we'd be insane enough to ask God to, to, to burden us. What breaks you? What, what burdens you? you? Some of you, you can answer it like that. Others of you, you're like thinking right now, I don't know, I'm not sure. What breaks you? <laughs> when I was in pain, I, I, you know, pain is a motivator. I said that earlier. But isn't that what God uses to really refine us? Doesn't God use the struggle to give us strength? Doesn't God use the trial to, to mold us and shape us? That's what he did in Nehemiah's life. Think about it. Nehemiah was burdened. He was vulnerable. He mourned. And then he moved. It's all through scripture. Think of anybody who gets to this breaking point. You remember Moses. Remember when Moses, he was part of the Egyptians. I mean, he was raised as, as, a, as an Egyptian. But he sees his people, his Jewish nation, being abused. They're being abused, and he, finally he breaks. He snaps like that. David, David had a snapping point, a breaking point. He had multiple, but one of them, here's what it was. He, his brothers were fighting the Philistines on the front lines, and David went to go bring them food, you know, keep them healthy and strong to fight. He gets there, 
And what does he see? He sees Goliath, right? The giant. And the giant, you know what he's saying? He's saying, he's talking smack about God. Now, David loves the Lord. And David didn't like what Goliath was saying. And David gets to this point of brokenness. This point, of, again, he snaps. And he basically says, Goliath, you know what? My brothers, the army, they say you're too big to defeat. But I say you're too big to miss. See, I'd rather have pain with a purpose than exist without one. Wouldn't you? We want to live our purpose. You will experience pain. You will, and so will I. I'll share a couple breaking points that I've had in my life in just a second. For some of you, you might be thinking, you might already know yours. It might be something that you've gone through. Very likely is. Some of you, it might be women who are trafficked. You hear about that happening and it breaks your heart. Children that are being, that are being abused. You hear that and you see those stories on the news and you immediately break. Right? It might be racial injustice. It might be the plight of the unborn. That might, that might break you when you hear stories about what happens. It could be youth. Maybe you hear about youth that are cutting. And you're like, and, and, and as soon as you hear that, it just does something in you. And many times when it does something in you, it's because it's, something has happened to you. Right? I always tell people, the best person to walk with somebody is somebody who's been through it and come out the other side. Oh, oh, you're going through a divorce? Let me introduce you to so-and-so. They've been through a divorce, and now they're living in their purpose. They've gotten through it. God didn't shut the door in their future because of something that happened in their past. Oh, you're going, you're going through, uh, you've been abused? Or you, you, you're going through abuse? She's been through abuse. Let me connect you two and watch what God does. That's the best person to walk with somebody is somebody that's done that walk and gotten through it. Gosh, it, it, it is a fact. And when God, puts a, when God puts a burden or a breaking on you, don't try to escape it. Don't, I'll tell you this, because naturally we want to be comfortable. We don't want pain. But when you know it's a burden from God, don't try to escape it because you might be escaping the blessing that he has for you. And wouldn't you hate to do that? On the other side of that burden, what is it? A blessing. On the other side of that burden is a blessing. All we can think about is the burden. When I was ripping up grass and rolling around like a dog on the lawn, I, I couldn't think about a blessing. Trust me, I wanted to die. There was no, oh God, one day I'm going to get delivered from this and I'm going to change. no. I'm like, it's over. You know, take me out. I mean, I'm done. I didn't care. But on the other side of that burden, there is a blessing. Know it. Believe it. Nehemiah, he, he wept. I wrote it down. Nehemiah sat down and he wept. And then he knelt down and he prayed. But then he got, he got up and he worked. And you know, the, I'll, I'll give you a little a preview to the rest of the story. 52 days. Say 52 days. This is a miracle from God. They just keep happening in the word. They keep happening in our lives when we open our eyes and see what God is doing. 52 days they rebuilt the wall. Him and others rebuilt the entire wall of Jerusalem in 52, day, 52 days. They restore the wall. They restore the gates. It's, and the people are rejoicing. Of course they are. And they're blessed. Why? It all started with one man who was broken. He mourned, he prayed, he fasted, but then he moved. Why? Because somebody's got to do something. Somebody has to do something. Stop waiting for somebody else to do it. Well, what, what can I do? You can't do it all, but you can do something. Nehemiah did something about it. And now we're reading about a book that's named after him in the Word of God. That wasn't his plan, trust me. 
It never is. But you don't, your plan isn't the blessing. Blessings just happen if you don't give up in the burden. So I told you there's a couple things that have broke me. More than a couple. I'll share a couple. And I know that I have more breakings coming. And that kind of freaks me out, to be honest with you. But one, one time that I was uh, broken, um, I read a book 10 years ago. I'm rereading the book right now. And here's my goal. After I get done rereading it, I'm going to try to get one in, in your hands. I want you to read it. Because I, I read all the time. Read, read a lot of books. Uh, there's, there's a handful that, 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 I mean, they're like the top tier. This is one of them. As I read this book, I'll give you the premise. The premise is this. Um, we live in a great country. I love America. I love my country. But God didn't die for America, right? God, God died for the world. Jesus died for the world. But, but when you live in America, you know, we're, we're very uh, privileged here. And the, the, the author's talking about the chasm between us, like Americans, and then people that live in other countries that have nothing. And we keep building wealth and building wealth and, and having more, and we do, if we're honest, right? If you live in the country, you're rich. I don't care what your status is if you live in America compared to what people live in other countries. And I was, I get it, understand. I, I, I know that there's people in other countries that are poor, and, and I've seen the pictures, and I've seen some of the uh, commercials, right? They're, they're, they're starving, I get it. But, but something about this book, I mean, maybe it was the statistics that he was giving. Statistics can be good and bad. Good because you're getting a fact. Bad because it's just a number on a piece of paper. It's just a number. So when the guy told me that 15,000 kids today will die, today, as you sit here and listen, will die today in Africa because they don't have food or, or they're, they're malnutrition, they have dirty water, or they don't have medicine to keep them alive. And I'm like, 15,000. And that, I hear that number, and I'm like, that is so absurd. And it's so obscene that it, you almost can't wrap your head around it. And you almost just bypass it because it's like, oh, my gosh. But, but think if that was happening here in America. Or like, what about in the Omaha area? 15,000 children died in our area. Oh, my gosh. The world would stop spinning. The news would have it on morning, noon, and night all around the entire nation until we took care of it. And we would take care of it in a day or two. I mean, we would do whatever it takes get the, to get those kids to stop dying, wouldn't we? We would do whatever it takes every day. No, you didn't even know the stat, did you? I didn't either until I read the book. So, so the, it broke me. And here's the thing about, about information. Sometimes, I want to say it the way I wrote it down. Some people don't want to know what's going on because information might lead to obligation. Right? I'd rather not know. I didn't want to read that stat because now I feel like I need to do something and I don't know what I could do, but I'm just some, you know, Nehemiah is just one person. What can Nehemiah do, right? <laughs> However, once we're in Christ, once we believe in Jesus, aren't we commanded to do what he said? Aren't we commanded to live like he lives? Like, it's not even optional. We make it optional. I do. I make it optional some days. Jesus doesn't. That's, that's another message. It might even be a series. You pray for that. I don't know. I'm just telling you, so something my wife and I did is we start sponsoring kids. Like, I can't do everything. I can't save 15,000 kids. I can't do it. But God told me, Monty, you can do something. You can sponsor children, and you can save a family, and you can save a family. You know, 40 bucks a month. Can you afford that, Monty? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can. So, I, 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 and, I know, and I, I'm, I'm supposed to do more. I know that. Anyway, so that broke me. But even before that, I was broken at 10 years old. And if you've been part of Meadows Church for longer than a month, you probably, you probably can tell this story better than me. You've heard it so many times. It's just my story. 10 years old, Catholic grade school, Salem, South Dakota. I'm wearing my, my blue pants, my white shirt, and my red sweater, because I wore that every day. And uh, we all did. So I'm sitting there in religion class, and Father Thury, uh, our priest, uh, is teaching something, and I'm, I don't even know what it was. I just remember raising my hand and asking a question. And I said, Father, 
Do more people go to heaven or hell? I'm 10. And he quotes Matthew 7. And he says, Monty, the road to heaven is narrow and rocky. These are his, his exact words. I'll never forget them. These are his exact words. Different translations will say it differently. It means the same thing. He said, Monty, the road to heaven is narrow and rocky. Few find it. And I was like, that's not what I was looking to hear. And then he said, the road to hell is wide and easy. And many go there. And I was like, I'm like looking around. And my friends don't seem to understand what he just said. And I'm like, and I've got this knot in my stomach. And I, I, was, so mad, I was mad at him. Like, I wanted to get up and just tackle him. But there were a bunch of nuns around, too. So it would not have gone well for me. So I didn't do that. Praise God. But I was like, there's no way that's true. You guys, that burden at 10 years old for lost people was put in me. Now I was 10. The burden in that moment lasted about seven minutes. Because in seven minutes, it was recess. And we were playing boys catch the girls. So, I mean, I forgot about it. But eventually it came back. And the seed was there. And it would, it would start to fester and grow in me. And, and, and I have a burden for these lost people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then later in life, God told me, Monty, I can fit a lot of people on the narrow road. And that, well, that's one of the catalysts that started Meadows Church, if you didn't know that. Uh, because it, it was, I was so defeated. What can we do? What can I do? The Bible says they're going to, most are going to hell. Oh, I know what the Bible says, and you can't change what the Word of God says, but I'm telling you, I can fit a lot of people on the narrow road, and I grabbed hold of that truth from the Lord, and I said, let's go. Let's go. So, Paul, who we've talked about in this series, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was, um, he was a bad guy at one time, and, uh, and then he was transformed by Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus will do. Jesus doesn't just fix you up, by the way. Jesus makes you new. Do you know that? Isn't that good news? See, we're in the business of fixing things up. That's what we do, right? Jake, I wasn't, this story just came to me, not even in my notes, so it's going to be scary. So uh, we fix things up. Two weeks ago, Jake and I are leaving my house, uh, and he's in the car, and uh, we hear something like a weird noise, you know? Sometimes I just turn the radio up, you know what I'm saying? But this was, this was really loud, and I'm like, something is dragging on the ground, and I'm like, this ain't good. So I'm like, Jake, let's go check what it is. And I'm acting like I'm a mechanic. I know nothing. So we get out of the car, and I get under there. I'm like, ah, oh, I see the problem. We got, you know, it's the catalytic converter. And I'm just kidding. I knew, didn't have a clue what I was talking about. But I did see a, a piece hanging down that was dragging. So I said, Jake, give me my tools. And he's like, what do you need? I said, give me a saw. <laughs> I kid, true story. I get under, true, Jake? I get under there with Jake, and I'm like, Jake, let me teach you something about, you know, being a mechanic. And I saw this huge piece of plastic, because I couldn't get it to get back up there. It was like this big. And I, I, I chuck it in the garbage, I'm like, ah, done and done. Let's go. You know, he's like, Dad, I don't think, whatever, Jake, just, you'll, you'll use that later. It's just, put that in your back pocket. I don't know. Anyway, we fix things up. Jesus makes things new. That's where I was. So, Paul, Paul had such a burden for lost people. Here's what he said. This, this blows me away. I read this not that long ago in Romans. Let, let, let this, try to wrap this around your head. In Romans 9.1, Paul says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter, bitter sorrow and unending grief. Okay, should we say it a different way? My heart is freaking broken. I am burdened. Something is drastically wrong, is what Paul is saying. For my people, just like Nehemiah, for my Jewish brothers and sisters, just like Nehemiah. And Paul says, and here's, the, here's what I cannot, here's what I cannot fathom even to this day. I would be willing to forever be cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. I'm like, 
Are you kidding me? I mean, Paul just said, I would go to hell forever. Okay? I'm just going to make a declaration right up here in front of you. Paul's way more, like, godly than me. I love you. Like, I love you. I'll pastor you and I'll walk with you. I'm not going to hell for you. I'm not. I'll show you how to get there. I'll guide you how to get there. But I'm just not. Paul, are you insane? And here's what I believe. I believe he meant every word he said. You, you, would, you would spend forever in anguish and hell if it would save your brothers and sisters from, from hell. I, Paul cared so deeply. He was so burdened. Eventually, Paul would die for his faith. Like the 10 other, like 10 other disciples, he'd be murdered. That means martyred. When you're killed for your faith, you're a martyr. That's what he was. He, he, loved, he, he wanted to reach lost people so much that he died for it. Why? Because Paul said to himself, someone has to do something. Like my brother, they're, they're, they don't know Jesus. They, they're like I was. They're, they're, they're so lost. They're religious, but they're so lost. That was me. And he says, someone has to do something. What burdens you? What breaks you? And by the way, your burden won't only lead to a blessing, but when the church is burdened together and we say all of us are going to do something, you know what it leads to? It doesn't just lead to blessing, it leads to revival. Did you know that? This is why this message, I think, is why God had us close with this message. Nobody wants revival more than him. Nobody does. But he knows unless we get broken about his business, we, it, won't, it won't move us to action. Comfort won't move you. Right? Status quo won't move you. What moves you? Well, I got to go to the counselor. Why are you going to the counselor? Well, because she said she's going to divorce me if I don't. Well, I got to go. Why? You're moved. You're uncomfortable. You don't want to go through a divorce, so you're moved to action, right? This is how we are as a people. This is what the Super Bowl party is all about, by the way. It is a burden for lost people. Now, you're not going to tell. <laughs> don't tell your friends that. I'm inviting you to the Super Bowl because you're lost and you're going to go to hell. Okay, that won't, that's not a good selling point, okay? Don't do that. You talk about the wings, talk about the pizza, talk about the prizes, and let God do his work. The Super Bowl party is not about the, 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 the game. It is not about the food. It is about lost people. People that will never step foot in a church. I don't care how good you say it is. It doesn't matter. I keep hounding that over and over, but I truly believe that there is a, uh, we're starting a podcast. I, I, I don't know when, but soon. And the podcast is going to be about It'll be, it'll be pretty raw. It's Meadows Church. But it's going to be reaching an audience that we, we can't reach otherwise. Right? We're going to try to reach them, people that would never step foot in a church. The Super Bowl party, people that would never step foot in a church. But they want a party. They want to win prizes. They like free. They're like, if it's free, it's for me. Bring them. Bring them. Invite them. And the invite, I'll email out the, the e-invite. God, text them. Email them. Whatever you got to do. It is about loving and valuing people. When they're loved and valued, that's how Jesus reached them. He loved them. He valued them. He cared about them. It's not, it's not some big formula. Well, I got to share this and share my faith this way and, you know, evangelize and ask them this question. No, no, no. Love them. Invite them. Invite them. Just love them. There was a guy, there was an evangelist. I read this story. An evangelist, this is crazy. An evangelist was a, this guy was a, a revival starter. And uh, I don't remember his name in the story, but um, he, he, he was asked, he lectured at Harvard. Never went to school, but they had him lecture at Harvard. Okay? Never grew up in a tent and was invited to the White House twice by two different presidents. 
That's how much influence he had. And one time when he was in front of a group of people, they said, we, how can we have revival like you have revival? How can, how can what's going on with you start to go on with me? Here's what he told them. This is what he said. Quote, go home. Lock yourself in a bedroom. Take a piece of chalk. Draw a circle around yourself. Draw a circle around yourself. And I quote, he says this, pray fervently and brokenly that God would send revival within that circle. Revival will never happen out there if it doesn't happen here. Never. Change will never happen out there if it doesn't first happen here. It never will. It can. That's why you said you want revival. It starts in your circle. Draw a circle. And we got to get at, in, in this series, boy, it's convicted me of multiple things. One thing is what I shared earlier. I give up on my prayers too soon. See, I'm just confessing to you because I don't know who else to confess to. I've given up on my prayers too soon. Revival. I, see, see, I want to be like this. I want to stay in my circle. And I want to like, and, and this is my prayer for not just me, but for you as well. That, 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 that we refuse. Like, God, I refuse to leave this circle. I refuse to leave this prayer circle. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. Like, God, I, 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 until I see you move, I'm staying here. God, until I get a word, God, until I get a word from you, I'm staying here and I'm praying. Until I get a burden from you, God, I'm staying here and I'm praying. Until I get a vision from you, God, I'm praying right here. Until I see you move, until I see your hand move, God, then I will move and I will walk with you and I will pray that your kingdom come and your will be done. I'm not moving. I'm praying. I'm in my circle. I want revival and so do you. Draw a circle. Pray for revival in you. Oh, I want the world to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nehemiah wanted the world to change too. You know what had to change? Him. He had to have a conversation with the king. He had to take a trip to a city. And he had to fight opposition. Read the story this week. He had to fight opposition. It was not easy. They didn't just say, oh, Nehemiah, you want to rebuild the walls? Come on. We got your tools right here. Here's a saw, right? You're, you're, anyway, so uh, Nehemiah, it won't be easy. And it wasn't. He faced severe opposition. Somebody has to do something. I've never shared this story before today. Before I moved to the Omaha area, almost five years ago, you guys, we, we started to celebrate recovery. That's a recovery ministry that we even have here in Out Meadows for people with hurts, habits, and hangups. None of you, I mean other people, right? That's not me. <laughs> it's everybody, by the way. We started this recovery ministry. We raised up leaders. We put them all in place and it was rocking. One of the biggest celebrate recoveries in the Midwest. 
We start in a year and a half. It was it was booming. So I handed the reins off. I move here. Now I'm thinking about planting a church. I, I'm having you know I'm just shifting gears. And one of the leaders, uh, he was a newcomer uh, leader. So when newcomers come, and he would walk with them and love them. So. I've lived here maybe three or four or five months and I get a call from one of the leaders. And he says, hey, that guy, that one leader, he says, yeah, he's struggling. He's out drinking again. And I'm like, are you kidding? I said, he had a lot, I mean, he had years, two or three years at least under his belt. But addiction, it doesn't, it, it does not relent. And here's what I thought, because I was the leader of that. I led him, but I've handed it off now to somebody else to lead because I've been called to do something else. You know what God, you know what God told me? You have to do something. Oh, I believe he's in trouble, God. I believe he's in trouble. I believe he's hurting. Do you believe it enough to do something about it? I didn't. Wanted to, had the best intentions to reach out. Hey man, want to pray for you, want to whatever. Didn't do it. Busy, planting churches, meeting people, building the kingdom of God. A few months later, the, the same leader that called me before told me that the gentleman grabbed a bottle of booze and a gun and drove out in the country and shot himself. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And I knew. Is it my fault? No. But could my phone call have changed something? Yeah, could have. Was I supposed to make the phone call? No. Somebody has to do something. Paul in Philippians. Paul used to have everything when he was a religious guy. Stature, um, a platform, very renowned scholar before he met Jesus. In Philippians 3.8, he says, everything else is worthless. This is crazy when compared to, to, with the infinite value of knowing Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. And when he says everything, he means everything. It, it, it's garbage. That's what he says. It's all garbage. I count it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. That word garbage, if you read that in Philippians, you'll, you'll, some translations will say rubbish. Some will say garbage. Um, the, the, the word, the, the, new, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. And the Greek word for the word used there is skybalon. Say skybalon. Skybalon, yes. You're learning Greek again. The, we're a very deep church, right? Skybalon. Skybalon, you know literally what it means? Crap. I know. It, it means crap. Excrement of an animal. Dung. That's what it means. I wanted to put the poop emoji up there, but I forgot to put it in the slides, dang it. So that's what it means. What is Paul saying? It is all crap. I chased that. I chased that. I chased that. I chased. He said, it's all crap. That's what I've realized. I met Jesus and all that over there and all that over there and all that behind. It's crap. We got we to gotta quit chasing what the world tells us to chase and start doing what God has called us to do. Someone has to do something. It's all crap. He continues, I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the, 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 the law. The law is all that mattered to Paul. 
the, the Moses, the Ten Commandments, that's all Paul cared about. And now he basically says, I could get really graphic because some, some scholars believe he said the, like the S word for crap. They think he might have even swore. I don't know that, but anyway, so we'll keep it at crap because this is PG-13. So it's crap. That's all that mattered to Paul before. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. He's talking about the gospel now. For God's way of making me right and you right and you right and you and you, how can you be made right with God? Faith. Faith. But it depends on our faith. Paul, you did a lot of good things. They, they mean nothing. They, they mean, I shouldn't say that. They mean something. They don't just mean salvation. He's saying we are saved by faith. That's the gospel. And that's what Paul would cling to so much. It's all garbage. Your job. I'm not saying it's context. Paul would tell you your, your job, it doesn't matter. Your money, it doesn't matter. Your 401k, it doesn't matter. Your kids' activities, it doesn't matter. It's crap. If you don't, if you don't know Christ, it is crap. Like my pastor used to say, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. There's a reason. I'm going to pray for us. The gospel, Jesus was burdened and broken so much that he got on a cross and died for you and for me. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's how he knows Christ is because Christ was going to the cross, already went to the cross for Paul and for others. We are saved by our faith. That's what saves us, your faith. What do you mean, faith in what? In, in Christ, that he's the son of God, that he's the savior of the world, that he, is the, that he was born a virgin, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead. That's, a, that's the big one. Thousands died on a cross. Don't get too enamored with the crucifixion. It's a big deal. Don't hear me. Don't get, don't get me wrong. It's a big deal. But thousands died on a cross. One man. One man rose from the dead. His name is Jesus. And he wants to take what's dead in you and bring it back to life. It's what he died for. And for some, here's what I want. Here's what you might need to pray. God, break me of me. Break me of my selfishness. Break me of my, my desire for comfort. Break me of my fear. Break me of my, of my inconsistency. Break me of my greed. I hold on to things way too much. Paul says it's crap. Break me of my pride. You need to be broken before the Father. Break me of my addiction. God, if we're honest, my life looks so good on the outside, but Father, on the inside, I ache. using my spiritual gifts. I'm not taking any steps. I, I, I don't want it anymore. God, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to play church. I don't want religion. I want you. Here's my prayer for you before I pray for you. Don't make the mistake that I've made too many times and not make the phone call and not send the text and not do the visit. Don't, don't do it. Well, someone else will do it. If, if God lays it on your heart, he's calling you to do it and me to do it. Don't think, oh, by the way, from the church, don't think someone else can serve. You see all the green shirts up here? Those are dream team members. Someone else can greet. Someone else can provide safety. Someone else can love a kid. Someone else can um, do production. No, what if God's calling you to do it? You want revival. It doesn't take just somebody. It takes you to say, I'm that somebody. 
In this series, we have prayed, we have fasted, and now we move. Now we move. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I lift us up to you. I thank you for your word and your truth. Help us be more like Nehemiah. He saw a burden. He didn't talk about it. He didn't just pray about it. He didn't just tweet about it or post about it. He got up and he did something about it. God, there are people here in all different facets of their spiritual walk. Some don't know you personally. Father, for them, I pray they cling to what Paul just said. We can know you by faith. It is not what we do that saves us from hell. The road is narrow and rocky. Few find it. That's what Father Thury told me. He was, he was right. So how do you find it on the narrow road? By faith. We don't walk by faith in the world. We walk, we walk by what we see. What do we see in our checkbook? What do we see in our 401k? What do we see in our family? What do we see in our home? What do we see in our job? You call us to walk differently. You call us to walk by faith. And we believe that Jesus Christ is a sinless, spotless lamb of God who died to take away our sins. God, there are people that who need to make a decision to say, I want to give my life to Christ. I, look, I, I might look okay on the outside, but I am dead dead, dead on the inside. Father, for them, I pray that they'll surrender everything. For others, God, I, I'll, just, I'll just spell it out. There are dream team cards in, in the chair backs. Some, somebody's going to get moved to sign up for a dream team. They've come for a while. They, 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 they're getting fed, and now, they, now they're getting ready to pour out. I keep getting, you keep giving me that word, God, broken and poured out. Broken and poured out. Father, it makes me think about Mary. That woman who busted in and, and, and broke a year's worth of wages, an alabaster jar full of perfume and dumped it on you, Father, that's crazy. Why would she do something so, so, I mean, it just seems so irresponsible. But you said it was the best thing that could happen. She, she was broken and poured out. May, we, may that be our battle cry as we close this series. Break us in a way that only you can. Make us uncomfortable in a way that only you can. And may we pour out our lives as an offering to you. How? We're going to do something. We're going to invite. We're going to love. <laughs> We're going to do whatever you're calling us to do, God. We're not waiting. We want what you want. Some of us are going to, going to, going to go home. And we're going to draw a circle in our house and we're going to hit our knees and we're going to pray for brokenness. We're going to pray for surrender. We're going to pray for revival. And we're going to get a word from you. And my prayer is that after we're done praying, we'll step out of that circle and be you to a world that desperately needs you. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And then everybody says... Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today, but don't stop there. I invite you to like or subscribe to our social channels. That way you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, would you consider sharing this message with a friend, coworker, family member? I mean, so many people need hope and encouragement and you have the ability to bring it directly to them. Finally, one more thing. I want to ask that you would consider giving financially to this ministry. 
I mean, God has done so much, but yet we believe he wants to do so much more, like so many more people he wants to reach, so much more hope he wants to give, so many more lives that he wants to save, and your investment can help make that happen. So again, thank you so much. I love you, and God loves you more. God bless you.